Hello and welcome to an, another super special, super awesome, super spectacular, but frankly boring episode of Normandy FM, Kenneth Shepard. I, I don't you even start with me. We are I, 20 seconds in and you're already telling me this. No. Don't, I, don't Eric you. Van Allen, think that this is going to be boring because we're just going to the Citadel, man. I mean, like... Everything's totally fine on the Citadel all the time. Okay, like, that's fair. Think that's about fair. all the security at the Citadel. Like, what could possibly happen there? No. That's fair. Uh, dude, Ken? Hmm? Ken? Last time, we were, last time we were at the Citadel, okay? Last time. Mm. Set, set the scene. We were at the Citadel doing stuff, talking to our, talking to our human companion, whoever mm. is alive in our playthrough. They were in the hospital, you know, hanging out with counselors and stuff. You remember this many, like, Cerberus helmets around? Nah, I don't think they're even allowed on the Citadel. I don't think I've ever yeah. seen one on there before. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. Ken, a lot of dead bodies, too. Yeah. It's, and and it's bullets everywhere. Happens. Is anybody yeah. out there listening still buying this act? <laughs> <laughs> they're going like, how long is Eric going to keep this up? God, he had a bit, he came into this with a bit, and then he's like, he's overplaying it. It's, it's going too long now. Uh, and it also went on a little, you went a little too quickly into, you, know, you, you jumped right in. We got We got some... I know, we gotta got got set yeah. the scene, we gotta, don't, this is the in media res, you know, we, we give you the idea and then we like bring you to it, you know. Uh, yeah, so we are going back to the Citadel because uh, the Solarian Counselor, a little, little concerned that Udina's doing some stuff under the table, that there's some shady stuff going on now. Granted, I really like that they use the Solarian Counselor to set up this whole plot arc, uh, because... Mm. We've just come off a mission where the the counselor has, or at least, uh, I believe it's the counselor, not the Dalatras. So th- mm. there is that distinction. But uh, we did have just a, a sort of exchange with the Solarian government that was basically like, hey, do something on the down low for us that's like a war crime. <laughs> and Casual. we'll help you out. <laughs> Casual war crimes for us. So... To all of a sudden have them be like, hey, Udina's doing some shady stuff. Like, I know, you know, it's pot calling the kettle black. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so mm. Don't throw the stone in the glass house. Um, but, you know, Udina, he's, he's a cool guy. You know, we've kind of come around. Yeah, on totally. Him. Yeah. Right. And so when we show up to the Citadel and just see what's going down. Ooh, it got messy. Things mm. are going down here. It's not going good. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, seems it, like it starts Cerberus. out and like we can't even we can't even dock. Nobody's answering. Yeah, can't even dock. And then we do basically roll on in with our squad, and there's just uh, there's just bad dudes everywhere, Cerberus everywhere. And mm. uh, oh boy, so um, right away we get we get a little bit of a divergence here, depending on who we have alive. Obviously, we're good at this video game. So Thane Krios, the lovely mm. Mister Thane, mm-hmm. is still alive. Apparently, and this is thank you to the uh, Mass Effect wiki, 
Armando Owen Bailey is the person we reach out to. Um, our former CSEC officer who's now basically in charge of CSEC at this point. I think he yep. is the, the top CSEC guy at this point. Yep, still um, a dirty cop, but, you know, some things never change. Uh-huh. Hey, look, you know, you gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet mm. on the Citadel, all right? I, just, I think Bailey's all right. It's he's he's got he's got a, a checkered past, but I don't we I, all at this point. I recently rewatched thank thanks to the the Mass Alex playthrough on Giant Bomb. They they just got to the Thane loyalty mission mm. uh, very recently, and rewatching that, I was like, man, Bailey's all right. You know, he he tries. He he does try. Dirty as hell, but he tries. <laughs> um, <laughs> And we get to fight a bunch of Cerberus and basically fight our way up through uh, to where the Salarian Counselor is because we're just trying to get a sense of what's going on. We're trying to help the Council first and foremost because losing them would would not be helpful. Yeah. You know, it's a pretty... bad time for us to lose Galactic leaders. Yeah, even though Ken over here is sitting there like, "Oh, you mean I can kill another Council?" <laughs> yeah, I mean I can do it twice. <laughs> the word you got that <laughs> going for going for the world record. <laughs> uh so we we do get up and we help out the uh the salarian uh counselor and it's at this point that we start to get this the sneaking suspicion that the salarian counselor might have been a little bit right about udina Mm -hmm. uh there's there's some bad stuff going down that it definitely sounds like udina's been a part of uh But first, we got to get the Solarian Counselor to safety, uh, and we we got to escort him. And or her, I, it's a her, or her. Oh, yeah. true. See, I always because I save I save the council every time. Yeah. See, always I've always had. Oh, she. What's her name? Ishiel, I think. Ish, yes, Ishiel. Whereas yeah. I always had Valern. Yeah. It's a good name. I like that name. They're both good names. Good Boy, names. I'm excited for. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm excited for the viewer question this week because I, my brother, uh, is in town briefly between the end of his normal college semester and him going off to an internship, and so I was spending the the Memorial Day hanging out with him, and we got to talking about a certain video game in the Mass Effects in the Mass Effect series, and uh, it's making me really look forward to the. Uh, to the question let me just mm. tease that a little bit uh so we we head on back and we're trying to get the counselor out and uh well <sighs> there's a character that that doesn't want that to happen and he who, literally drops in who shows up and ken it's time we talked about kylang <laughs> all right okay. oh boy i'm gonna like I'm going to say, no matter what is said in today's show, Kelly Chambers is still the worst character in Mass Effect. I'm not going to wholly disagree with you, because there is an attempt, there is an attempt with Kai Lang, and, and I think we will get there. Possibly not the worst, but definitely a heavy contender. Like... On any uh, given Sunday. A, a strong second, a strong second. On any given Sunday, he could be the champ. Uh, yeah, so... Where do we start? Okay, we do, we, okay we so to... Kai Lang is here to murder the shit out of the Salarian Counselor, alright? Which kind of sets up that, you know, this is also when the Salarian Counselor reveals that Udina was planning a coup to, uh, 
to overthrow this. So Dino was working with Cerberus mm. to make all of this happen. And uh, as this is happening, he's leading the Asari and Turian uh, counselors elsewhere on the station, and Caden or Ashley is also there as being a specter. Right. Doing specter stuff, you know. They they hit the ground running with their job. They don't got to worry about that onboarding process. They're not doing paperwork. They're not signing benefits forms or nope, anything like that. Nope, the on fire. It's time to yeah. jump right into it. They'll take care of that 401k transfer later. Oh. <laughs> mm. <laughs> So, uh, so here's an interesting divergence. We're going to mention this real quick. This sets up a a little fight here. And uh, the person that comes to help us and potentially save the Solarian Counselor can be a number of different people. If Thane is is alive, he will intervene but get stabbed. Uh, Mm -hmm. If Thane is not alive but... Captain Kirahi survived the events of Vermeer. He will take Thane's place. That's something that I never knew until this day, which is kind of cool. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, Captain Kirahi can show up. Kirahi yeah. is apparently just hanging out. I guess they figured since they were bringing him back for the cameo, they might as well find some other ways to like slot him in. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. Uh, but if none of them is around, Counselor just gets owned. <laughs> just completely yeah. wrecked. Uh, so... Before we get to uh, the results of uh, of the Thane Kylang fight, um, let's talk about Kylang because we have this whole situation here where we start chasing Kylang, and you know he's he's being set up as this super badass. Uh, there, there are a bunch of like he's got some knights of Ren that start showing up now. This is when the <laughs> Phantoms get introduced that are like his little knights of Ren. Um, <laughs> This dude sucks. Like, let's, This let dude me... sucks hard. <laughs> so, to clarify, first, Kyling debuted in the novels. And so, like... Yes. The same thing with, like, Kaylee Sanders back in uh, Griffin Academy. Like, these were two characters that I was looking forward to finally seeing in the game. Um, because, I mean, the, Kyling is not... <sighs> like, in the books, he's okay. Like, he's fine. Uh, it's like... He, like he, he is a right-hand man of the elusive man... He is an assassin of sorts. I don't immediately recall him ever using a sword. But, uh, you know, he was like a formidable villain in at least one of the... Because like, he was in two of the books, the latter of which I never read because um, it was it apparently had a bunch of factual errors and stuff. And they said for the longest time they were going to have a rewrite, but that just never happened. Um, so I never read that one, and I, I heard there are like a lot of like really stupid things that he does in that that may be sort of... Um, hinted at the type of character he would ultimately be in Mass Effect 3. Um, but here, it's like... So... I'm not even really sure where to start. So, like, so, he looks like a cyber ninja, like... He's... Somebody watched, like, Justice League when Nighthawk shows up and was like, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna make that. I'm gonna just crib that. And... Boy, okay, so he's got... He is in like total ninja mode. He's got the 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 sword that he holds backwards because that's cooler. And he Naruto <laughs> runs at you, and he's got a palm thingy that blocks bullets, and he can shoot stuff with his other arm, and he can cloak. And he's God, he sucks, man. It's it like so. 
Kasumi and him sort of, like, have the sort of, like, same aesthetic and, like... Kinda? But, like, the thing is... Maybe? I like Kasumi because she's, like, an entertaining character. So, like, I kind of ignored... Not really ignored. Like, I I was able to look past the fact that she kind of clashes with the majority of the Mass Effect world. But now you've got, like, this person who's supposed to be, like, one of the primary antagonists of this game that just, like... I I can't... I... God. Like, how did they... Okay, so, like, how did they look at him and, like, in these fights and, like, how ridiculous it looks like have Shepard's, like, this shotgun-wielding, like, marine fighting a fucking ninja? Like... I mean, uh, okay, the, scene, so the scenes look product like, of his goofy time. as hell. Product of his time, I will say that much. This was the time when cool cyber ninjas were awesome. Everybody had played Metal Gear Solid by this point, and Metal Gear Solid 2. He's literally like, Raiden. Yo. Yeah, he is Raiden. Uh, and not, not Raiden from Mortal Kombat, that would be cooler. He is suck-ass Raiden from... Mr. I I was a normal dude and then they turned me into a cyber ninja and now I have feelings all the time. Uh yeah. Oh, God. So but, he, but also Kyling doesn't have like Kyling's literally not a person in this game. Like he just like he barely speaks no, and when he, he does shows up. it's like the the lines are like super stupid and like just cliche and like you're like, action movie cliches of, like, Shepard, like, points out, like, ah, it's three-on-one, dude, you're totally fucked. And then he's like, no, now it's fun. And he says, as he does his thing and then runs away. Like, that is another thing. Kai Ling runs away 66% of the times you the fight time. him in this game. Like, so, they okay. want him to be... Oh, okay, uh, you, you go. I, I need, we're I need to we're getting to the heart of why I think Kai Ling actually sucks. And it's because they have to tear down so much of Mass Effect to try and make him work. Point, big point in this episode. I mean, like, the Thessiest stuff we will get to as well, because really, we only see him, like, three times in this game, and it sucks every single time. And and that's, like, one of the major things, is, like, this dude, who's supposed to be, you know, the big guy for Cerberus, who's supposed to be this super high-level operative for Cerberus, and Miranda's, like... Oh, Kai Lang. Oh, shit, Kai Lang. Like, so, yeah, Kai Lang. That is, like, everyone that knows him in this game is scared of him. But the dude runs away but every time you have to Also, play, like, we've never heard of this motherfucker until now. We've never, like, he wasn't in Mass Effect 2. So they have to, like, straight up, this is a guy who has invented whole cloth for Mass Effect 3 to put a fightable antagonist on the I mean, face was, of Cerberus. And again, I mean, like, was, in fairness, he, was in, like, he was in the books. And that's, like... I don't know how much of that it goes into where it's like the book, you know, they're talking about the book like, oh, we need to set up this character for Mass Effect 3 so they can have, you know, Kaylee, excuse me, Kaylee Sanders or something like that. Uh, but this is a dude who's just show for, for video game players, for me, who was playing this at the time, right. who just shows up. He's just here now. And, and the thing is, they have to establish him as a badass and try and... <laughs> try and make him seem like a threat and the way they do that we'll just get to it now is by killing thane they take someone yeah. who's super badass who you and the rest of us all know and love as the super badass like can't be killed by anyone assassin he is just the the combat guy uh gets taken down that 
royally sucks. Just sucks. Because what it ends up doing is... We already know Thane's going to die, right? And and most of his arc mm. up to this point, we've already talked about, has been him making... He's at peace with that. And he's just right. trying to live the best days that he can from here out and do good in this world. And there's there's something very sweet about that. And it would have been so much more effective to have a moment where you know you're jetting around the universe trying to save all this stuff and you get a message from thane's son and he's like hey like he didn't want me to send you this message because he didn't want to like cause undue burden on you he thought you were like busy with other stuff but like my dad's time is near i think you should be here and you could have done that and then had the scene mm-hmm. that happens with thane which we'll talk about in a little bit um play out I that mean... way which would have been so so good and and like look okay so we we do have this little moment where thane gets his little like cheeky oh some some assassin he should be embarrassed that he couldn't beat a terminally ill Jarrell yeah. or whatever like he gets his badass line because it's great because we all love thane and he's great but fucking kai lang man he's just he sucks okay like his whole thing is just that he's cool because he gets all this magic space tech and he's a ninja and he can do all this cool stuff and when he jumps in a his getaway car there's a there's a lady robot in there with boobs and we haven't seen any other robot yeah no i remember dming you this specifically because when he's in the getaway car at the end of this whole sequence he does eventually get away his so all these cars have like robot drivers right when he jumps in his it's like this i want to say it's almost the same model as the one that ed takes over and i was like of course kai lang is the type of dude who's gonna be like i gotta make sure the drive the getaway driver for my car is one of the robots with the boobies on it like of course he's that kind of dude he he reeks that essence that aura (laughs) like (laughs) (sighs) <sighs> and he's uh, well, and most of this is me projecting this onto him because guess what he really doesn't have a personality besides just being this dude who shows up and says shitty one-liners and then fucking sends you dms after the fact to be like haha got your goose shepherd and like oh god he's like it would have been better if they were setting kai Leng up as this comically horrible villain like this dude who thinks he's incredibly badass and you just repeatedly kick his ass all over the universe over and over again because that's what you actually end up doing when you fight him is you whip his ass but then it goes into a cutscene and again i'm I'm cannibalizing fessia content here but you you beat him up and then you go into a cutscene where he's winning and it's it's the worst disconnect whereas if kai lang was at least like this level of suck but the game and the writers recognized it and were just like, let's make him the most comically terrible villain and just have him constantly like foiled by Shepard at every step and the elusive man kind of gets angry. He does the whole Inspector Gadget uh, claw thing where he's like, oh, I'll get you, Gadget, and all that kind of stuff. Like, I would have liked that more than this. Well, so I want to touch on two things there. One about the the Thane situation... I I get like if you're if you like hate Kyling the fucking much like that you would want Thane to maybe not have to like be a victim of that but I also like the idea of Thane sort of like going out in the blaze of glory like saving the the counselor and yes like okay. that that yes 
but why does that it have to be for Kai Ling to make Kai Ling seem like yeah. a badass? I mean, that's the thing. Is like, I don't know who else it would be in the story that we've been given here. And they try to do this thing where, like, they want you to think that Kai Ling and Shepard are on, like, the same level. And, like, not even just from, like, the way that the boss fights go, but, like, they make active references throughout the game. Like, like oh, you remind me of Shepard, or he reminds me of Shepard. Like, the elusive man said that Liara points it out, because, like, Kai Ling was an N7 at some point. Um, I, I guess they kind of want to frame it as, like, Kai Ling is, like, Shepard if Shepard just did whatever the elusive man wanted. Like, it's like the elusive man has this person that is ostensibly very competent and capable of all these things that the elusive man wants, but isn't going to question anything. So, because, like, Liara says something along the lines, like, it sounds like the elusive man misses you because he has this person that is apparently very much like Shepard. But, like, I mean, I I would hope that I'm more competent than that and that I don't have to switch to a cutscene to win a fight. Like, Kai Lang is... So there, there's a great scene in, in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indiana Jones is running through the city chasing some bad guys and some dude shows up with a sword and starts doing all these sick kung fu moves and legend has it that that day um, Harrison Ford was fighting a pretty bad uh, illness and he just there was supposed to be this long drawn out fight scene bet- between the two of them and Harrison Ford just did not want to film it. So he just pulled his pistol with its, you know, fake caps and and smoke and everything out and shoots him and walks away. (laughs) And the other guy, being the the professional that he is, sells being shot and they just continue with it. And the director, uh, Spielberg, um, liked that so much and thought it was so in line with Indiana Jones's actual character that he left it in. And that's the take that you see in the actual end movie. Uh, Kai Lang is that type of dude who would show up and be like, ooh, ha, ha, and they should have just had Shepard <laughs> pull out his pistol and shoot him and walk away. Or, or, or Thane or something. Like, I like the idea of the blaze of glory, but you don't need Kai Lang to do it. You could have, like, just these overwhelming odds, and he realizes that he's got to put something between the counselor and these Cerberus forces closing in, and you just see him, like, shut the door... Uh, with him on the other side and he's, he's just saying like I I will find my peace on the other side or something like that like yeah you could have done something like that anyone like the thing I don't like about it is that it's so blatantly they did it to make Kai Lang seem cool they needed some way to show that he was on Shepard's level and it's it's that really like force like just bad bordering on like fridging thing yeah, like, they just really needed to heavy-handedly do that, and it's, uh Okay, that's enough about that. Let's talk about... We'll, we'll get back to him in a few episodes. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, don't worry. He'll be back. Uh, we gotta take care of things. Thane is, is being taken off to the hospital to get taken care of. We'll We'll check in with him in a little bit. And we gotta go catch up with Council now. And this is where we get into some other stuff here that I know that Ken here is really looking forward to. Um, so I, I do have a chart open here because I wanted to take a look at the math and see what happened here. But essentially, we eventually come upon the counselors and whoever survived Vermeer, the, the human companion, uh, who is distrusting you at this point because... 
uh, Cerberus is attacking, and obviously you have ties to Cerberus from Mass Effect 2. So this runs a sort of check here to see whether they're going to automatically trust you or if you're going to have to reputation check them to earn their trust. Or, or if, there's if they just cannot be talked down. So just to run it through for the viewers at home, this is not a long uh, chart. You gain points for having romanced uh, either Ashley or Caden, but you lose you lose about half those points for if you cheated on them in Mass Effect 2. Okay. Um, if you save the council, they're more likely to trust you, but they're less likely if you sacrifice the council. See if you got the blood less like Shepard does. You know, <laughs> um, if you kept uh, Kirhi or Thane alive, uh, because otherwise, and I did not know this until uh, today as well, uh, Udina can produce a fabricated video of Shepard assassinating the Salarian counselor that will go against you, uh, and that's kind of a cool little thing there. Uh, if you were kind to them, if you visited them in the hospital, if you visited them a second time, if you admitted or apologized for cheating on them, if you did cheat on them in Mass Effect 2, and if you lower your weapon against them, all of these will add up to eventually a point where either they will relent, they automatically relent because they just trust Shepard enough already, or they cannot be talked down, and um, you're basically forced to go through them uh it's it, it's not a good time <laughs> so um yeah i had to reputation check through my talk with ashley and looking at this it's probably because i didn't romance ashley so i didn't have those points i did save the council but and i kept uh kirhi or thane alive so it didn't get me points but it didn't lose me points either and i was uh i visited them but i don't it's this it's this kind thing. I don't think I visited them the second time. I might have, I might not have. Uh, but I don't know what the being kind to them was. Basically, if you're picking renegade options and like not being like not trying to smooth things over, I guess, if you're just kind of like get over it, friendo. I suppose. But anyways, I got renegade checked. Uh, and I also lowered my weapon, so I didn't have to go through too many of the reputation checks i just had to kind of go through that extra dialogue thing of lowering my weapon and being like hey calm down it's okay like we are on the same side here uh you i believe because you are romancing caden and it's really weird this is oh i guess if you were a female shepherd and you romance caden i was gonna say it because you wouldn't have necessarily no. started that romance yet i think no. um no. it doesn't technically start until after but you probably had plenty of points here to not yeah. get checked by that which yeah, is based on what I'm looking at, I got I have I had four points, and it, it's like it's four points or higher, and they automatically side with you. So. Yeah. Anyways, uh, now we basically have a choice uh, that either we get to shoot Udina, or a squad mate does it, or Ashley or Caden does it. Uh, Ken, I gotta be honest with you, I capped him. <laughs> Fair. I, Look, I was like, and same. Somebody's taking this dude down, and uh, yeah, it's. I I was I was bummed with Udina. Uh, I think they later tried to play it off like he had been a little indoctrinated, but mm. I I was honestly I... bummed because I felt like Udina was 
developing more in this game than anywhere else and it this mission kind of feels that's my overall feeling about the citadel coup is that a large part of it just feels like it gets thrown away in order to remind you that cerberus is a force in all this and they're so bad and they're 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 everywhere and stuff like that and i just that's maybe one of my largest issues with mass effect 3 as a whole is that i really don't like cerberus as this kind of secondary antagonist to the reaper threat Mm -hmm. uh i just it it just is not compelling and trying to establish like the elusive man is i think the elusive man could have played a much more interesting role it's still working towards his own goals that are occasionally against Shepard, and then you could still have those missions where you are fighting service troops and stuff. But having some level of, you know, he exists as a force, but he's not necessarily looking to do these intentionally antagonistic things. And granted, like, yes, there is a reason why this stuff is happening that we will eventually get to near the very end of the game, but that still doesn't feel like it justifies that to me in terms of it. it a lot of a lot of good characterization especially from two and even the early parts of three feel like they get thrown out the window in order to create artificial uh conflict to to like keep the game moving when like the ultimate conflict is the reapers you don't need more conflict than that if anything like the conflict just needs to be how are we going about the way that we're we're doing this thing maybe it comes to blows a few times but we already have so many like little conflicts that we're dealing with like the like the genovage and as we will get to the the geth and the quarians and i the cerberus stuff has never been interesting to me it's never been compelling to me i've Mm. i've never been interested in dealing with that side of the mass effect universe so to touch on the cerberus thing specifically um i get that and i also like like even later in this episode we'll be talking a little bit about it but like we learn that sort of like splinter factions of the species that are being wiped out by the Reapers tend to come into play and like cause these sort of conflicts. And apparently this is something that has happened every cycle. Um, so if, if that is like a plot line that Byron wants to play with, I don't really know where else, like what other faction mm-hmm. in the Mass Effect universe would have ever been that other than Cerberus. Um, like, and I get that, like, it is, I, like, and we talked about this a little bit, you know, a couple episodes back, but, like, I personally do, like, at least, like, the payoff of a lot of the Cerberus conflict, at least in, like, you know, at the very end of the game, but I can, I get, like, there are points where it feels like, you know, Thane, uh, Udina, etc. are, like, they're casualties of this sort of, you know, it's, like, so it's, like, they're casualties of somebody else's problems, I guess, is the way to put it, like, because we, you know, if they hadn't, if the, that interference with Cerberus hadn't happened, like they could have had, mm-hmm. you know, different different arcs, different ways of going out, like the ways that you mentioned earlier. Um, so yeah, like I, I get that a lot, and um, and I, I get why that would bother somebody. Um, but on the point of, Od- of Odina, I don't, at least not that I recall, when um, if you have Caden instead of Ashley, I don't think the idea of him ever being indoctrinated is ever brought up because I know Ashley's like by by name talks about impossibly being indoctrinated but I kind of prefer the sort of interpretation that because like there are like um, audio logs and emails and stuff you can read that imply that Udina was trying to leverage you know Cerberus and his spot as a counselor to basically help himself and help humanity 
Mm. Um, I kind of like the notion that he was just this man that, after everything that's going on, feels desperate and is looking for anything to get an edge in what he's, like, because, I mean, he's been the one that's dealing with the council, um, you know, face-to-face, which we're not necessarily doing, and seeing that everyone is very much out for themselves, and he feels like, and he talked earlier in the, like, when we saw him on Citadel the first time, about how he's, like, constantly looking at, like, uh, the list of the dead, because he knows all these people in the Alliance, like, on a first-name basis, that are dying, so, like, I, like, I prefer that idea that, like, Eugenia is just desperate at this point, and he is kind of feels back into a corner, and that's why the coup happens. See? Poe knows. Again, he's just... Yep. Poe's my cheerleader for this podcast. <laughs> uh, I... He's definitely not a wartime counselor. You know, I I think we... One of the definite senses we get from the conversations that we have with Udina and, and the way it sets it up is that he was not prepared, like, yeah. mentally, emotionally, for what was going to happen once the war started. Uh, and so the idea of him turning to Cerberus in a moment of desperation definitely uh, clicks. So I just, again, I just don't like Cerberus. It's, <laughs> I just don't yeah, enjoy I mean, them. Yeah, th- like again, there are some, like, once we get past Thessia and get to, like, you know, the meat of the Cerberus stuff, there's some, like, some of the best stuff in this game. In there's opinion. some better stuff. We will see. I need to. Yeah. This is a reminder and maybe something to hold me to it that I do plan on eventually streaming some of the end of my Mass Effect 3 playthrough. Um, I'm still working through logistics on that, but I did stream the end of my Mass Effect 2 playthrough. And as of this recording, I still have yet to play through uh, the last, I believe, two missions of Mass Effect 3 as well as uh, the Citadel DLC. Mm. So uh, I definitely want to try streaming the Citadel DLC as it'll be my first time playing through that. And I think that would be fun uh, for listeners to check that out. So that's something that we'll put out on our social and all that once I figure out the logistics behind doing that. Um, but even the Cerberus stuff, I'm, I'm still wondering whether it's really going to click with me or not this time around. Because uh, it definitely did not when I first played through this. Mm. Uh, what did click with me, maybe even more this time around, was the uh, the Thane, the final Thane scene that we get here. Uh, where we go back to the hospital and uh, visit him, see Kolyat, uh, give him a passing uh, scripture reading, and mm. it's it's just a moment I don't even want to like quantify in words. If that sounds mm. weird, like I literally just took screenshots of it over and over again because I was constantly amazed by like just the choices they were making in terms of the framing of these characters mm. and the writing and there's just some really beautiful stuff done yeah. with the with the way that scene is handled that feels again like we just had Morden who is this character who has just this incredible thematic fitting send off and we go with the one two punch mm. for Thane and it's just every bit the, the same is every bit as weighty and meaningful and yeah I, I i'm not ashamed to admit that on my replay i definitely did not cry the first time i played this definitely cried this time playing through it because <laughs> i did not expect that and it to hit so much and obviously like yeah. i've talked a few times how every time prior to this i'd never really cared much for thing I, I didn't get yeah, i thought it was cool but i didn't see why people cared so much about him as a character mm. but now playing it so many years removed from let's say my edgier youth 
<laughs> that now with more empathy and world experience Thane just stands head mm-hmm. shoulders toes and more above everybody else uh most of the other characters in mass effect and uh he's just it's it's just a really nice moment it was i was really glad they had that in there that they sent him off that well that they included Kolyat. that was a nice inclusion and that bailey is the one who lets you know uh that he's there again like they they tie that back in very well that bailey also has some history uh some some daddy issues of his own potentially and so to to see that all kind of wrapped up so well so so thematically like that is the end goal of mass effect right is to create a moment like that where across games you're having this journey you're having this Mm. build up where not just your choices are affecting things because we've seen a lot of games do that but just the idea that these characters have grown and evolved in their own ways regardless of their choices regardless of your choices and you get to see that and you get to experience the whole arc of their lives within these games is really interesting and and really unique and something that we don't see in a lot of games and so it's i feel like thane from mass effect 2 up through here is is the epitome of that where he is just a lot of mass effect 2 characters get relegated to this kind of role where they just kind of come Mm -hmm. in as cameos and then you get a little wrap up on whatever they're going to do next or wherever they're going uh but it felt like they really identified the ones that fans latched onto and gave them mm. the proper send off. And and we have more to come that also might have been yep. tear jerkers as well. Uh not ready for that Ranock episode. <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah, that's how I feel about Thane. It's it's just a really nice way to to send him off. It's a very fitting end for Thane Krios. But we gotta talk about some other members of the crew, I believe, Kenneth Shepard. Yeah. Ones that you're very excited to talk about that you gave me homework. I did. I had homework this week, y'all. I had to go watch all the scenes uh, leading up to this point with either Ashley or Caden, specifically ones that involved romance. Mm. Because uh, there's a stark contrast, let's say. So, So, Ken, let's take it away first with the good stuff because i will admit after having and not that i ever doubted but <laughs> i will i will say that watching the cadence stuff it was uh it's very compelling i feel like they saw when you think about these characters in this game ashley and Caden, you know you've been away from them for a very long time and so in some ways you're catching up but in other ways you're filling in a lot of blanks that never got filled in in mass effect one and that's what cadence felt like was that you were getting a lot more characterization than I ever got from him in Mass Effect yeah. 1. And probably the most characterization that you get unless you romance him in Mass Effect 1. Right. So the, the first thing we got to talk about is there's a scene where we get to decide whether or not Caden Rashley is going to be a squad member or a war asset. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't... Unless you're like somebody that just like really didn't give a shit about either of these characters, I don't know why you would ever like deny yourself another squad mate. Or, like, if you're desperate for war assets, but I don't imagine at this point you would know that in the game. Or if you just don't like Ashley and know you're not going to use Ashley. I, I could see that situation specifically. I, I guess so. I, I'm, I've always been a person that, like, even when I don't like characters, I, I like to have them around. Because, like, that's why would I pointlessly miss out on shit? Because, like, there are people that are like, oh, I didn't do Jacob's loyalty mission because I didn't care about that character. I was like, you're, I mean, why? I, I don't know. I, I have a question for you. Yeah. I don't know if you know this answer offhand, so sorry to put you on the spot if you don't. 
um if you do not bring Caden or ashley back onto the ship as a squad mate can you still romance them no no you can't okay that so that would that sure. would also lock that out okay yeah um so if we're gonna compare these we'll, we'll talk i'll talk about the Caden one first so the Caden one it's like he's a little standoffish when you first get there because he's kind of like thinking about everything that happened and wonders if there like if anything had gone differently if you might have shot him and i obviously was like hell no i would never do that to you what are you why why would you even say that um and then it's just more about like kind of it's like the final nail in like the coffin of like do these two people trust each other anymore and it's kind Mm -hmm. of like because like at the very end he's like i want you to know i'm never gonna doubt you again and it's like he's gotta get like this last little bit of doubt out of his brain and he's gonna like a kind of smooth things over one last time where I don't really feel like the Ashley scene has that same sense of I don't know like talking to each other on like a more personal level it's, Ashley scene sucks yeah cause she's just kind of like <laughs> whoa that was crazy commander can I come back on the ship where no Caden's like I need to actively talk about what's going through my head like maybe well, I, maybe Ashley doesn't th- think that deeply about this kind of shit like I don't know let me put it this way, and this was the thing that I noticed in the conversations, uh, in this specific conversation between these two characters. Caden, uh, the way he phrases it is, Hackett has offered me a job in his, uh, you know, working for him, but I won't take it if I've got a spot on your ship. Right. Like He's basically saying, like, you are my priority. Mm-hmm. Like, now that I know I can trust you, I, you are someone who I want to follow into the end of days. And even if you're not romancing him, even if he's just your, your bro pal or whatever, that's cool. Like, that's the sort of emotional bond mm-hmm. we are looking for in Mass Effect. That rings up, the survey shows, yes, that's what we want. Yeah. Uh, it's... And, and that's thematically appropriate when it's your entire thing about in this game has been about trust and like the last game Uh as well it's like you know you're getting to this point where like he is solidifying that your relationship is completely amended Mm -hmm. and and he makes some very good points about how here again a difference in the way he phrases this so we'll we'll get to the ashley differences but caden says um never thought i'd be looking down the barrel of your gun or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Like he very he very specifically, but he says that in a way that's he's not necessarily blaming you either. He's not like throwing right. you under the bus. He's not like saying like this is all on your end. He's just saying like, wow, we both made choices that brought us to that moment, right. and that sucks because I never wanted to be there. Uh, here's how Ashley's went. Uh, Ashley's was, I can't believe you'd pull a gun on me and jesus christ admiral admiral hackett is offering me a job that to me like like the the fact that she does not like you have to persuade her to come on the ship even if you're romancing her because that was the video that we looked at was if you're romancing ashley the way that scene plays out and she's still like you have to convince her to join the normandy and it's just like the difference between Caden wanting to join the Normandy and fight the last good fight that humanity might ever fight with Shepard versus Ashley being like, well, I'll, I'll go on the ship, but only if you want me to. It feels like this mix of emotional infantilism and just like 
I, I, so much. Like, it's, and it, it, I never, I never really liked her romance, and I, I had done her romance in Mass Effect, Mass Effect One and Mass Effect Two, I guess theoretically. Um, and and I tried doing part of the playthrough uh, with Mass Effect Three. I, I think this is probably the point where I got to it, where I was just like, I, I don't want to do this <laughs> Ashley romance anymore. So, sup, Miranda? <laughs> like, yeah, um, and so like that—that that to me sort of like encapsulates what has been like the major. Because like after we get past this conversation, this is where Kate and Ashley no longer carry the same role. Like they have their own conversations and things. Yeah. Yeah. So like to me, it it, it feels thematically appropriate that here Caden is like wanting to have conversations. He's wanting to like explore what he's feeling where Ashley is just kind of like this, like all my problems with Ashley have never like in my fact one and two have never been about the way that this character feels so like distant and indifferent to like, the implications of anything that anybody does where here it's like she's just like it's almost like she just like wants to wipe everything under the rug but like in a way that's like excusing blame of herself or something like it's like, like Ashley's whole thing is being disconnected she doesn't like she's a soldier first and you know like she definitely gives you the impression that you know she's like I think she says somewhere in Mass Effect 1 that she's, like, you know, she's she has never really had, like, a long-term boyfriend or anything like that because she's always just been military and stuff like that. Uh, and she definitely, like, gives you that impression that she is worried about letting someone in close because they might betray her and that the Cerberus stuff and, obviously, the Citadel coup, like, brings back those feelings for her. And that's all well and good, but she but, doesn't confront any of it. But like, she, she, yeah, like, she she does not seem to confront any of it. And and this is this is a failure on the writing, I think. Where yeah. it's just yeah. this character needed to have some greater step from Mass Effect One to Mass Effect Three. It feels like Ashley, in regards to the romance, in regards to the, her relationship to Shepard, regresses. Whereas Caden gets more interesting like it becomes more of a character like me watching this i'm going like man i should do a playthrough of mass effect where i save caden because he seems like a way more interesting character to have around and delve into than this character that i've always had around because she's just there and honestly yeah, like I'm, I'm not even kidding in my playthrough right now i just didn't finish the social link with her or whatever you want to call it like i did not finish all the, the loyalty stuff with her because i was like well, it's A, it's not required for plot like it was in Mass Effect 2, and B, I don't really care to see all this stuff. I'm just not interested. I'd rather be doing the Garrus stuff or the Liara yeah. stuff or the Tally stuff or anything else. Like, <sighs> Yeah, and just yeah. to like, wrap up that little thread, because I mean, we even like into the rest of this episode, we got some more to talk about, at least with Caden, because like, this is the episode where I want us to finally like establish our romances and like have the conversation about that. To me, what it just solidifies, like, this conversation, along, I mean, along with everything else, is that with Ashley, the way that she is written, she fills, like, what is, like, the role of, like, a mechanic of, like, this mm-hmm. character that you have to gain the trust of through the course of the game, where Caden, like, that trust that you're, you know, gaining or not, depending on whatever you do, is actually informing the character. And it's, like, I just don't... I, I am somewhat biased, fine, but, like, I just... From a writing perspective, I don't get how anyone could ever make the case that Ashley is the more developed character of the course of the trilogy. It just no, it, it boggles I don't think my mind. Would. 
I, I don't you'd think be surprised. Would. I think like I think a lot of the Caden hate comes from people who left him in yeah, Mass Effect yeah. One because I think it is easier to make the case there in Mass Effect One, especially if you were a dude who was yeah. not trying to romance Caden that he would come off as not much of a character. And also, they, um, and, which and, is maybe more reflective of the players that are very outspoken about this now, but <laughs> and and also like if you if you start the trilogy at Mass Effect 2 and you play as a male shepherd, like you don't get to make the choice Ashley's just the one that's alive. Like it's a it is a, like cuz I remember Yeah, Ashley becomes the canon living one. Yeah, and then if you play as weird. And then if you play as female, Caden is alive. Um, and that's the thing that really sticks out to me because I remember ages ago, like it must it must have been 2012, like Bioware released like statistics of like who people use the most as squad mates, and Kane was at the bottom because, like, statistically speaking, he's a character that most people don't even see because like we know just from sales data and just like people when people talk, most people start in this series of Mass Effect Two or Mass Effect Three, and then uh, most people play male Shepard. So mm-hmm. there's all these things working against him, which I, I mean, again, like, I don't, I don't, that's not even really my bias towards this character being my love interest. It's just like, it's frustrating to me that like the, the cards were dealt in a way that meant a lot of people did not see the more fleshed out character. Yeah, it, it sucks. And I, I would say to anyone listening to this who maybe like would disagree with that or something, but I, I you know, like I understand, but at the same time, like, Go go play some of the Caden stuff. Like I'm I'm really trying to not just dump on Ashley for no reason because I will say that uh, some of the other homework that we did this week was catching up on on just general romance stuff. And Ashley's actual romance dialogue in this game is pretty solid. It's it's good stuff. She has good. Di- I li- I really enjoy the dialogue where, with her talking about her dad and. Uh, you know, yeah, watching I, the ships go by and waving at them, and um, you, you just she, you learn a lot through the way that she talks about her family and how distant they feel at this point in time, how protective she is. Like it gives you that sense that she is like afraid of losing the people who are closest to her, so keeping them at, at like a safe distance is better, and uh, and also like keeping that circle close, wanting to protect family the most. So the idea of anything else becoming as important is scary. Like there's there's good stuff in there, and I, I do think like the voice acting sells as well. I think her voice acting is very good in this game, um, and it's you know some of it is just on the writing. For some reason, Ashley just ends up coming off as in in those critical moments as just not not having the same compelling you know reasoning that we were just talking about as with Caden and that that sucks because mm. ideally in an ideal world these would both be very compelling characters right uh and and it's just that Ashley when it matters most comes up short uh compared to Caden so you wanted to talk about romance huh we, we should do that before well, yeah. we move on to our next thing well i mean there are a couple things that we probably should talk about like we need to wrap up sort of like the end of the, the coup arc which is like we got talked about the fallout on the the Normandy, like the actual talking about things that happened there. Um, Man, you're you're catching me out in the woods here. I'm I'm trying to remember what you're talking about. Well, now. I got notes that are conveniently in front of you. Yeah, I'm pulling them up. Don't worry. Yeah, are they on? Yeah, here they are. Um, boy, boy, hmm? you do have a lot of notes here. <laughs> I always do. It's a it's a it's um, a sickness after this game because this game I've got like yeah. the most notes. All right, no, I mean, you got for the for the listeners at home. There are graphs here. He's got graphs. He's got, <laughs> he's got punctuation. He put in paragraph tags. I mean, there's everything in here. Um, One of us has to be on our ship. 
Look, I told you my notes are pretty much just, of course, Kai Lane got the titty robot. <laughs> that is actually an actual excerpt from my notes that I sent to Ken when I played that mission was, of course, Kai Lane got the titty robot. Uh, <laughs> so we do we, we do a little bit of catching up here because obviously there is some fallout from what has happened. Uh, Udina is, is gone now, so we've got to clean that up is is anderson does he become the official ambassador at this point or is he just kind of like stepping in to handle some of the counselor duties and things like that i don't think that he ever gets like officially designated as anything but, but he, um, he does kind of start doing that job though like yeah at this point we start hearing from him more yeah he's yeah, and, he's around yeah and he is on one about Udina, and it's it's oh great. god yeah Anytime, like if you ever if you ever feel like Anderson is just like this stoic person without like real you know emotions happening, just just tell him that Udina tried to get the council healed. That's it's great. It's a great scene. We we do we do get a little uh, a little thing that's going to affect stuff later, and that uh, he gives us a dossier on Kai Lang, uh, yeah. which adds into some of that book book backstory that you were talking about, uh, but also. Uh, plays into another message that we get at this point where uh, Miranda wants to talk to us and it's important that we inform her of of Kai Lang's let's say attention to all of this (laughs) it's kind of weird to like it's it's maybe one of the more video game things that happens in this video game is the way that Miranda's plot is handled with regards to warning her of Kai Lang and giving her resources and things like that uh, it is very video gamey because you would assume that, like, just because Miranda's doing stuff, she wouldn't automatically start like always checking over her shoulder for Kai Lang. But apparently, that's what happens when you warn her. Um, we do get an update from Hackett saying the uh, <laughs> the Crucible is fifty percent like done. <laughs> He's really excited about his production. It's coming together great. Uh, the sets are looking fantastic. These mm. dressings are is, period piece. It's, it's going to be a period piece. He's, mm. he's really excited about that. Uh, yeah. So uh, he's also figuring... They, they can pretty much tell that they're going to need the catalyst, which is uh, going to direct whatever this is. It's going to be It's going to be the oomph in, in, in this thing. If, if this is the... If the catalyst is the glass the or the crucible is the glass the catalyst is the water in in making that good cup of water right there it's the reference i'm going to use jesus fucking christ <laughs> the anecdotes uh and then we get some little crewmate stuff uh so i'll let you talk about the cadence stuff i will say that you you mentioned uh the garris aside at the memorial wall i had the same thing uh but flipped obviously because mm. ashley was alive and caden was dead so you do get a little aside that kind of reminds you that you know, you weren't the only one in that crew. There were a lot of people who remember leaving behind a friend on Vermeer and mm. having that moment where you're kind of like thinking back on that. And there are a lot of references in this game to the human companion that mm. that you did leave behind that yeah. I think is really interesting. More than they got uh, in Mass Effect One, like that—that yeah. that is the thing that was crazy to me. Because like you, like again, we have this we have this thought with Garrus, and like before even we go to the Citadel for when the coup's happening, um, when a shepherd has like a shepherd has a nightmare and it, the voice that you hear throughout it is mostly uh, whoever you left home Vermeer and then you get to talk to Liara about them just like and you have this little aside about how like um, oh god what, what did they say uh, something like you're like oh if Ashley had been here I wonder what she would think of all this and then Liara says something like she probably would have called it target practice or something like that 
Mm-hmm. You know, these kind of moments that they didn't have in Mass Effect 1, which I'm, like, I'm... Like, I, I said it, like, I think, like, the first episode of the season, like, Mass Effect 3 understands the gravity of death more than anything else in the series, because even the suicide mission, like, nobody talks about... Like, I mean, in, in that game, like, nobody talks about the suicide mission, like, after the fact. And, like, I mean, like, mm-hmm. oh, I missed Thane, who or whoever it was that might have died. So, like, I like that there's this... Very like it's like this attention to giving people the tribute they didn't get before. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Ken, who is definitely not bitter, also wants to remind us that AD does have dialogue that is not just purely about boning Joker, and uh, would really like us all to know that that AD is a more complex character than simply boning Joker. Mm. Uh, that has been your your PSA for this week. Good, as long as you were the one that says it and like has to, you know, own up to your mistakes. Hey, it's it's it's, it's attributes, second source. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm so let me let me get this out of the way before you talk about Caden stuff just a little bit here because uh, I I have a bone to pick at this point with my romance stuff. So okay. my romance in this game is Liara. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's what I, what most of my romances have always been in Mass Effect Three have been Liara. Uh, I think it's one of the best romances in the series. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's definitely, like, I will say that playing it again, I'm definitely, like, I've seen all these scenes before, so it does not have the same level of novelty that it did, or even the level of, like, oh, this is really touching. There are still good moments. The problem is, something with the way quests are handled in this game led to a point where I got the scene in the Citadel where... And really, I think you have this with whoever Shepard romances. You have this scene. You sit down for a little dinner at the Citadel, and you kind of have the talk about whether this is something serious or whether you need to like put it put the relationship on hold for you know the good of the galaxy. And I did have that scene with Liara. You know, it was very nice. It was a good scene. Uh, all all was good. What I did not get is maybe the more let's say damning thing. <laughs> is I didn't get the scene that everyone gets, which is where Liara comes up to your room with the time capsule Mm. and goes through all the stuff that she's going to leave behind for the next cycle in case this one does not survive. And that's like a very classic scene that you you have by this point. Uh, But because of, I guess, the way the emails came in or something, I was never able to call Liara up to my room despite having like received that email and saying like call me up when you have time i was able to call up everyone else who like i i did the kaylee stuff i there was a vega thing where i talked to him about becoming a specter uh there's there's a lot of different ones that happen and i was never able to call up liara you think that would be pretty important and so right now i'm actually at a point where i'm a little nervous about this playthrough because I don't know if the box is checked for me to be in a relationship with Liara anymore or if that mm. has created some sort of weird bug. And that is super not fun. Really not excited about so that. And I I don't know if that's a quite like, because I think we, well, we talked about this before, like that must be like a glitch or something. Cause like it, it has to be because it's, but it's just a bummer because like you think about it, like this is the worst case scenario for that glitch happening. Right. Right. Like, the the person who is most invested in seeing the scene 
is unable to access it and can only see the email, cannot, for some reason, call Liara up. So I'm really hoping that that stuff is all right because I want to see what the Liara romance content is like, how it's affected in the Citadel and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I assume there's some sort of yeah. tie-in with your romance in the Citadel. Again, I don't know what's going to happen. Very excited to see that all play out. Right. Uh, and I think as long as obviously been... that ties in with the ending as well because yeah. you get like different things in your ending depending on who you romanced. And... Yeah, that's I'm... a super bummer. So actually, my feelings on romance in this game have been kind of muted by that, and so that's why I haven't really talked about it much. Is because not only is it like the same thing I've played a million times, I don't have that like layer of the shadow broker thing to like really give me that extra like, okay, I'd never seen this before. Wow, this mm. is really good. This is why people care about Liara so much right. beyond just what's in the series. But also, I've missed like one of the largest scenes. <laughs> and I think oh. I don't know like. I don't know that that scene is like a checkbox for the romance because like if you had like you have the conversation on Citadel where you're like, yeah, we're totally, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and obviously I responded posi- positively to that and all that. Uh, and other characters okay. have made references, been have been yeah, like, yeah. oh, I see you and Liara have been hanging around and stuff like that. So yeah, no, I should be fine. I'm just a little concerned that I'm not. Uh, that being said, I have I, I think before the end of the series I'm also going to catch up on what some of the other romances play out mm. like. I remember um, Garrus' is is a good one. I want to see what the Thane romance is like uh, mm. with that final scene. And I also uh, want to catch up on what the Tali romance looks like. Because so, like, that's another one where I'm just really bummed that my femchef is not able mm. to romance Tali because that's what I would have done for this podcast. But Sid Bioware had to suck and not do that. So here we are here we are nothing but longing unable to (laughs) make that happen so tell me about tell me about your your scene with Caden because I actually this was when I watched as my homework Mm. I enjoyed it a lot I want to hear your thoughts on it well there was there was one the first thing you do when you get to the Normandy like after you have that side with Gareth is like you have he he has moved into Samara's old room and it's got the uh like that that view of the galaxy that uh Mm -hmm. it's really nice um, and you come in there, and he's like looking out the window, and he's talking about just like how, like I want to say, that one of the great things about this scene is like its use of silence, and that's a weird thing to say, but like it's this very quiet, and like the, in the midst of like you know the last thing that happened, you were on Citadel, everyone, was, everything was crazy, Cerberus was being there, it was crazy, um, where it's just this very quiet scene where he talks about how he finally heard back from his family, and his father returned to active duty, but has gone as MIA and presumed dead, um, and you like. It's sort of like he talks about he starts to he starts to have like this moment where he starts to think about what the future will like be after the war and he wants to take his mother off world because she's never been and there's even a point to like renegade interrupt as he's like kind of having this moment to be like no use that you know be aggro be meh. and you know I just let him have his moment and then after that he he's like you know I'm glad to be back I'm glad to be here with you and then then you go back to the citadel and you have like <sighs> okay. So in in my humble, not biased at all opinion, this is like the best romantic scene in the series, in my opinion. I will say that it was very good coming from somebody who was watching it for probably the first time. Or if I had seen it before, I did not remember. I will say that it was definitely a good one. And I could definitely hear Ken crying on the other end of the line <laughs> as I was watching it. <laughs> so you're out there to get dinner and he talks about, you know... Uh, it's like I haven't really had a moment like this since this all started, and then he talks about how uh, when he almost died at Mars, his life was like a flash before his eyes, and he's realizing that he spent so much of his life 
sort of like waiting and being like, and then he even talks about like, you know, I've, I'm, I'm alone in all of this. And like, you know, speaking specifically romantically. Um, and then he talks about, um, what he wants is just, it's like something greater with somebody that he already cares about. And then you can be like, I want that too. And then Shepard has this moment of vulnerability where he's like, you know, it'd be nice to have something to live for and all of this instead of just, you know, fighting this war because for the sake of survival. Um, so the reason that the, the reasons plural that I think that this is such a, like, this is the best romantic scene in the whole series is because it, it, it to me is sort of like, it captures how far romance has progressed in terms of like the writing in this series because so Caden is the one that initiates it but it's not like one of these like super gross like tacky flirty things he's just like burying his soul like this is how I feel and do you feel the same way because like most of the time it's, it's initiated by the other character it's like like the Jack thing where she's like well oh, you wanted me up we should just fuck now and get it over with or things with like Ashley and Liara in the first game where like they're sort of I don't know if predatory is the right word, but it's just like they, regardless of your advances or not, they're just kind of like, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where like romance is treated as this sort of, you know, like this joke, this thing that's like, you know, like what we said before, treating romance like a trophy. And so it's not like this isn't pushy, it's not overtly sexual, and it's just, you know, one person being open and honest about how they feel. And then, so the reason I think like the distinction between like a male shepherd or a female shepherd in this scene is important to make because if you if you play it as female and like say you've um you've been in the romance before it plays out a little bit differently it's not it's not quite as hesitant on Caden's part so like he's just kind of more like hey can we talk about a relationship and that's you know that's all well and good and that's fine but to me what I like about playing a male shepherd here where it's like you know it's a brand new thing shepherd has this moment of kind of like surprise that this is something is happening and like if you're like me who had cannons the absolute shit out of every single line of dialogue in this game like I, I've always thought of that as like Shepard realizing that like after all this time you felt the same way and we and like later on in the game like they kind of talk about how like they'll never really know what they missed by not being together this whole time and then again like then Shepard talks about how it's it'd be nice to have this basically like this sort of like we talked about with the suicide mission like this thing to come back to Instead of, like, just trying to get through it for survival's sake. Um, so, it, and also, the thing that I think it, it sticks out here is, like, a lot of the other romance uh, initiating scenes kind of fall into certain, like, uh, the only way I really know to describe it is, like, mechanical traps. Like, they gotta sort of, like, establish it as, like, you are locking off all other romances. as So, like, you can pursue mm -hmm. this particular one. And, because like, there's a line in Garrus's where Garrus says something like, are you are you ready to be a one Turian kind of woman or something like as if you've like been with anybody else and so that's just like the nature of like the, the making that like gamifying relationships and that's not here in this scene and I just really appreciate that about it that it's sort of like it it, it somehow they managed to write something that feels completely devoid of like the mechanics that are surrounding it which has not been the case for the majority of the romances of this the trilogy and. It's like I'm, I'm actually I've shared ups in two episodes in a row. Okay, so like what I like what I love about it is that like it it makes like the most sophisticated genuine relationship in the series because it doesn't feel like it's caught up in all of that gamification of shit. Like it's not like 
Kaden's not necessarily even reactive of like you hitting like you doing the right dialogue. It's just like he, because like you can not necessarily actively even flirting with him, all, but he still does it. Like it's still the scene that you get where it's just like this person that has felt this way this this long that he's just finally like the world is ending. I can't wait any longer. I got to do this now. And I wondered like so for the longest time like I've wondered if like there was gonna be a massive trilogy remaster say and that like they maybe fixed it and, like, they let you romance Caden as a male from, like, the beginning and, like, the remake. And I was like, that... That's probably... That would be a good thing overall, but, like, I also feel like it would fundamentally change the way that this relationship has been sort of written in, like, the way that I've perceived it. And, like, in the span of all this galactic bullshit, like, to me, Mass Effect has always been a love story in the middle of an apocalypse. And, like, if that change were to happen it might fundamentally change my relationship with the Mass Effect series, and so like, I don't really know that it's something that I'd want, even though I know that it's probably the right thing to do. I think that notion's really interesting, the idea that, like, part of what makes this Caden romance special, like, to you and I imagine to a lot of the other people who, who went for this romance, was was that it was unavailable at first, and that, and that they find a way to write that into the character. They find yeah. a way to make that feel... Like, I was... While you were talking, I pulled up some some wiki stuff because i was going back over it and and looking at some of the other romances the ones that really stick out like liara and and tally and garris and the best romances in this game especially like the ones that you think of the most from are, are, are often carryovers from that first game you know they're the ones that feel the most earned the longest running they don't feel like the achievement grabs like some of the ones right. in mass effect 2 and even mass effect 3 do uh but they also they play to the character they mm. they play to the way that this character is uh liara's is very much like we're going to enjoy these moments that we can find like you are both extremely busy people like mm-hmm. arguably the two most and, powerful people right. in the universe and you're you know you're just trying to find moments of solitude away from all of it that's like that's why i've always really liked liara's right. uh and with Garrus's, it is that total like you know he's he's a bit of a, a jet setting playboy who's uh, you know he's always he's been the vigilante cop. He's his his romance is written the same way that a lot of like Batman's romances are, and, right. and not like I'm not just like intentionally making the Batman joke, but like um, <laughs> it is like that way for him, and so that's why that appeals to a lot of people. I think Tally's is very quirky and cute in a way that you would expect tallies to be right. it's very awkward and fumbly and mm-hmm. and caden and i i can hear it like that's why caden's resonates with so many people is, is that you have that that delay where it's this this person who had never thought about it before but now that like the end is so close it's it's like he's he's thinking about what's still left out on the table and right. what he really wants that's like that's good man that's mass effect that's mm. what we want <laughs> That's what we. That's what we're here for. Oh, mm. Normandy FM. Yeah. Let's talk about Javik. Yeah. So uh, we delayed this one intentionally because I did this mission like pretty much as soon as I could because I'm I'm the kind of guy who's like I again if we're gonna recruit somebody let's go recruit them let's not waste time. Uh, Ken here made us delay this specific topic until after the coup because. In, in your canon, in your playthrough, you like having Caden there for mm. all the Eden Prime quips, which I 
I totally get. I did not. Wait, did I bring? I might have brought Ashley on this mission, and she would have made some quips about Eden Prime as well, because I do remember the, the little nod to Jenkins. Mm. <laughs> R.I.P. Pull one out. R.I.P. <laughs> the original, the original uh, dead squad mate before mm. Ashley and Caden. Nobody ever remembers Jenkins or Nihilus. Mm. Pour one out for Nihilus. First, first victim of the Reaper War. Mm. Uh, not kidding. <laughs> There's like a lot of people that died before he did. But <laughs> uh, mm. so this mission, let's say on its own, not that interesting because it definitely is like a DLC ass mission where yeah. you're just kind of fighting some waves and getting some like ominous text about why people might have been digging stuff up around here and there might be a beacon and all that kind of stuff i feel like this mission only gets interesting once you actually realize that the thing you are trying to resurrect and protect is a living prothean one one that is not collectorified like this is probably the last prothean Mm -hmm. alive ever uh and we get a little bit of uh a little bit of flashback in this uh, part, and then a lot more once we're back on the ship of of one Mister Javik and and his life. Uh, and Ken, I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm, I'm I'm skipping over a lot of like the stuff. There's like a lot of cute little uh, crew asides and things like that that happen in this mission, and it's cool seeing you know like what it was like for the Prothean city to fall, what it was like for Eden Eden Prime to fall. And seeing Javik, like, fight for his city and all that. But once we start talking to Javik back on the ship, there were some red flags that went up that I maybe had not thought about much before Mm. that now replaying, I'm like, some of this... I I don't think I like Javik. I mean, that's very much fair. I I think Javik kind of (laughs) sucks. So, oh, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Are we talking about, like, as a quality of a character, or, like, a character that you just, like... Oh, okay, no, no, no. I think I think Javik as a character is well-realized. I, okay. I think he is a very interesting character. I, and I definitely think they do play into his character in an interesting way. It's just that maybe I don't remember him being such, like, a smug, mm. vaguely... Like, like, I guess I don't want to say racist, but, like... The way he just refers to everyone constantly is like the, oh, you were like, you're basically rats and frogs and pig shit when I was He's a very elitist person. Yeah, and then you learn more about the Protheans and he's just like, yeah, we we totally like, we murdered entire civilizations if they didn't choose. He's very much like Prothean, the way the Prothean stuff was uh, written is is very reminiscent of like the Holy Roman Empire and and things like mm-hmm. that and that kind of sucks if you know a, a lot about that those times in our history uh, but at the same time he is like really cool in in the way that he is like the, the last person alive from the Protheans is a warrior and it's not like he's dumb you know he he is. A, a general i believe mm-hmm. he's a general or, or command basically like basically the shepherd of the protheans yeah. Yeah. and having that contrast was interesting if even to just be like wow uh maybe we're going to be all right because in this cycle we have empathy and in theirs they did not <laughs> but uh there there are some fun quips 
with uh with him where he, you mentioned the good one here like they used to eat flies and stuff like that like making fun of all these he's mm-hmm. he's talking about how like asari are the most advanced in this cycle but they're like nothing they they were barely anything back in his cycle and you get kind of that sense of how the cycles happen that a lot of the obviously like dumber wildlife does not get taken right. out in in the harvest and so that is what evolves and becomes the the species that take over for the next cycle that stuff is all extremely interesting i was just kind of going like man javik kind of sucks more than i remembered <laughs> yeah it's a it's like a so one of the things that really like it's the kind of the beginning of that sort of slow dreadful realization is because like liara is so stoked she is so oh, excited the worst. About i this. felt so bad for her and she, oh. she's like she because like you can talk to her a little bit like what do you know about the proteins like the people not like the sort of like the culture of them um and then she's like she's listing off all these exciting things and she's so excited that this is about to happen and you get the opportunity when you're back on the ship to kind of be like liara would never forgive me if i didn't ask you like about your what were your people like and then she starts you know she starts being the liara we know she's so excited she's like yes i've spent all, i spent most of my life studying your people and then javik is like we're dead who cares and she like immediately, I was like, "Oh, I." The temperature in this room just dropped. Like it, mm-hmm. it's so like it's immediately sad, and that gets that gets better as the game goes on. But like at for, like getting to that point is fucking rough because you know we can be all fascinated. Like we as Shepard can be you know fascinated, interested to know what Javik can tell us about how to you know get to this war. This is literally Liara's life standing in front of her, and mm-hmm. it's gonna give her a real hard time i i just think javik is also interesting because he is this character that for let's say let's he is he's secondary he's he's not he's optional you know he's he was let's say siphoned out sliced out uh as pre-order dlc slash uh you know you could buy him uh this mission and him as a companion later uh, but he ends up if if you never knew that if you never knew that that's how this character played out, you'd never think that he was considered that level of crucial versus non crucial because having him in the squad for certain missions and stuff adds so mm-hmm. much because you're getting all that like backstory and that interesting commentary and and really he ends up filling a role largely the same as Zayid or Kasumi where he's just adding clever quips or interactions with other characters but he's actually interacting with them more than uh characters did like you have actual long you know like cutscene conversations with him versus Zayid and Kasumi who were very much like you just kind of they talked at you about things that were in their room in Mass Effect 2 and then you had their one loyalty mission like here Javik has a lot to to delve into and that that's like I'm really glad that they, you know, went the extra mile to make that happen because, like, if the the only living Prothean was just this dude you could talk to, like, by interacting with things in his room, that would have been insane to me. I don't know how, like, yeah. The, I guess my but, point is that it also kind of sucks, though, because this is, like, this is very much a symbol of what was happening at the time is arguably still happening nowadays, which is these, these games are kind of getting cut up before they're even sent to release to have these things that would otherwise be considered crucial tied in as this like reward stuff it's it's something that i actually feel that 
Mass Effect had the issue with that Dragon Age never did. Because all the Dragon Age pre-order stuff was always just like, oh, you get this cool armor. and so, Even Mass Effect 2, like, which had so much DLC. So much DLC. But they put characters behind that stuff. And that that always feels really crappy. Well, in Dragon Age 2, they also had a similar thing. Like, Sebastian was um, a DLC, like a pre-order. But that, that was, like, further removed. Like, I'm okay with the idea of Kasumi and things like that. But here with Javik, I would even say with Zaid in 2, like, the fact that it was a launch day thing and it was this character that, you know, Zaid was not critical to this, is not critical in any way to the story of Mass Effect. But Javik, I would say much more is, and you can clearly tell that there's a lot more put into the development mm. of this character that it ends up feeling a little bit more of a sting than, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's Zaid. It's just, like, this cool character you get... And you get to do, like, a fun mission and stuff like that. But whereas with Javik, it's like, wow, they really put a lot of work into this character. Why was he, like, cut out again? Yeah. And and that's... I mean, we we admittedly... And we can talk more about this next week. Because this next week is one of our, like, delineated times to talk about this stuff. But uh, this is... This game has loot boxes. <laughs> like, yeah. this is an early maybe one of the earliest instances of loot crates and yeah it was like the that remember, sucks like and we'll talk about this when we get to like you know talking about that like i remember having to explain that to somebody because like it must have been like at least my first experience with it because like i remember trying to explain that concept to somebody and it, i didn't have the name loot box so like i had to describe, describe it like a booster pack of cards yeah yeah that was that and, was like the common phrasing used around that time was the idea in fact i think it was titanfall was not too long after this. That would have been too maybe. Years yeah. Um, also had that idea of the cards that you would like play to get things and stuff like that. Uh, and that would, and I believe Halo even did that for one of theirs as well. I'd have to go back and check, but I believe Halo had a card system at some point as well. But uh, it's, yeah, this is one of like the earliest cases of it, and I think Mass Effects is actually one of the uglier versions of it too mm. because you end up with the situation where it's like entire characters locked behind things and that like never feels good and it, it was for a multiplayer mode that ended up being right. way better than i think any anyone expected it to be i mean no. it, again we can talk about that next week but in in the case of javik specifically i just wanted to bring up that it is this really interesting character whose mission is not all too interesting, but his story, his dialogue, mm. and just his crew interactions as the game goes on, he ended up being a character that I would bring along on missions because I, you know, if I was going into a place that I knew was going to have some Prothean tie-in or something like that, I wanted Javik and Liara there because they would have interesting right. conversations about that stuff. And that sucks that there were people who played this game who didn't pre-order or who maybe have bought it since and didn't buy the season pass or or whatever way they're packaging it now in origin uh who don't see that stuff because that Mm -hmm. feels so much more crucial than anything involving like zaid or kasumi and i feel like that was probably because like you know starting with zaid then going to like shale and dragon age and then uh sebastian dragon age 2 it kind of like they got gradually more important to the story it's like maybe at, at a certain point they were like we're spending so much resources on making these characters maybe we should stop selling them these, this way because Inquisition and Andromeda have nothing to the fort like there's right, no right. there are no optional squad mates for like their yeah. DLC yeah and it, yeah it's, it's just kind of a bummer and so I, I hate to leave like Javik on that note but uh we'll get back to it, him later yeah we'll talk about him at some point he always, he always manages to come up 
Uh, so we're going to close it out with a viewer question here. Uh, this is the mm. last of a set of viewer questions that we were sent. Uh, thank you, Rain, for donating. If you would like to donate to our Patreon, if you want to contribute to what we're doing, keep us doing more. We're already set to do Andromeda, and that's why I bring that up today. But if you want to help out, you can go over to patreon.com slash normdfm, contribute, help keep the lights on, and move us towards some of those goals. But we're talking about Andromeda because Rain asks... I'll go ahead and read this verbatim before I correct you. But Ken, why didn't Andromeda do it for you? Uh, I'm the one who hates Andromeda. Ken is the one who is a vocal Andromeda advocate. Uh, no, no shame though. We we got you. Uh, I I hate a lot of things, so it's easy to assume that uh, some of it like flows into Ken and and just emanates from him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just curious. I thought they did a great job making you feel like a Pathfinder when you first land on Eos and start playing Detective. I was hooked. I also didn't have any of the glitches or animation problems, uh, to be fair. My biggest beef is that they crafted a great story complete with cliffhanger and then announced that was it. No DLC, no nothing. So uh, it sounds like Rain is right. Uh, he's best friends with you, Ken, because yep. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is your alt. I think, I think you're sending in an alt. Uh, I will tell spending, you why spending I... Spending my own money on, page, on my own Patreon. I will tell you why I did not like uh, Andromeda and why I'm super psyched for us to go back and play through it now that that has been reached (laughs) it's uh it's hard to like encapsulate it all in like one single thing because like obviously yes uh goofy facial animations glitches things like that the way that the missions are structured to having to do a thing go back to the ship go back down to the place go back to the thing go back to the ship like it felt like the quests were not streamlined in a way that made the open world gameplay uh smooth i feel like that's something that a lot of designers have been figuring out as the years have gone on is they've realized that players are going to habitually open the fast travel menu because they don't want to run all the way across the world every time they do something so they find good ways to keep you going along a set path versus having to jump back and forth a bunch of times that never feels good so uh but andromeda was not one that did that i felt uh i would also levy the same criticism against inquisition which i felt had similar issues uh with some of its missions in in that open world but i think the largest thing about andromeda was it it felt a too safe and b like it missed why people came to mass effect in the first place so like it it felt too safe in the ways that it 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 leaned on a lot of very standard writing tropes for bioware it a lot of the characters felt like characters i'd already seen in other bioware games like pb was kind of just sarah from dragon age inquisition and a lot of the a lot of the other characters even the human companions i i remember i was talking to my brother today about like wasn't there one human companion who just wasn't a sorry commando and that's her whole personality was that she's like i'm a human i was a sorry commando i'm, I'm great because i was in a sorry commando did i tell you about the time i was in a sorry commando it's great uh yeah i did not like the writing for most of the characters and and it was because they just none of them stood out i even the the new alien race which really sucks i i would have really liked to uh jaw i believe his name was mm-hmm. uh i would have liked to have spent more time getting to know him but i just did not he, he was not sparking the same 
even like beginning level of interest. And, and I know it's like hard to try and match up two characters like Thane and Morden with new characters. And so to try and be like, oh, well, he wasn't as interesting as Thane or Morden was. It's like, like, yeah, I have years of investment in those characters that they are trying to overcome with new characters. It's not going to happen right away. And I did like some of the characters. I believe Vetra was the mm-hmm. female Turian. Mm-hmm. I liked her a lot. Um, I actually did like PB in spite of feeling like she was kind of not that interesting of a character overall i still did enjoy uh her character being around just maybe thought it was a little one note uh, but the other like issue i had with it was like the thing about mass effect especially when you look at mass effect one it's just the discovery that's happening that you're going to these new planets you're going to these places that feel remote and alien and interesting and most importantly you're like it's it's learning about the culture and it's the lore that you're discovering this whole time like the quarians are fascinating to learn about for the first time like the turians and the asari and, and the way that they're all interacting you're kind of being dropped into the deep end on the citadel and you're like trying to understand like oh the elcor kind of talk funny that's weird so do hanar why do hanar talk this way and what is it about hanar that causes them to do this there aren't that many new alien races in andromeda i want to say it's like two Mm -hmm. i think that's right and you don't really get too much time to spend learning about either one of them and in the places where they could have then filled in and maybe given you some interesting takes on uh existing alien races existing tropes uh it just felt like they dropped the ball and and you end up spending so much time with human squad mates which sucks like there's I, i don't like my biggest thing and this was why i specifically brought up earlier that i was hanging out with my brother today because while we were talking about this i mentioned this kind of casually and we kind of riffed on it was that the cool thing that dragon age does is that dragon age lets you play as different races and different characters and you're still the inquisitor you know you can be an elf and still be an inquisitor you can be a, a dwarf or a canarian or a human and still be the inquisitor but mass effect does not seem to want to let you do that and i think the idea i know that rider is very much like you are the human pathfinder and you have a human twin and you have a human father and they like very they sped out they set out a very specific like goal for that in mind but i wish they hadn't written themselves into that corner because having a massive game where i could play as a turian character or as an asari character as a heck as a quarian character where i'm having to like manage suit punctures and things like that like you could have done some really cool stuff i want to play the mass effect game where i can play as the other races in that universe because i'm sick of just kind of learning about them from the outside and i don't like like i said andromeda didn't appeal to me in that way i don't think they can capture that same exact magic again with the mass effect universe without just resetting it in some way and it felt like they were going to do that with andromeda and then halfway through decided like oh never mind like people they're going to want in a sorry squad man they're going to want a krogan and they're going to want a turian so we got to like find ways to make sure all that happens whereas like if andromeda had just dropped you in a new universe only humans were familiar and you had all these different other alien races that you were discovering about and and learning that could have been really cool too it just felt very held back in a way it, it i wanted to see them take a bolder step than andromeda and that was maybe my largest hang up with the game was that it 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 just did not have the same vigor and vitality that these games do and and part of that might have been the open world part of that might have been that it was just kind of 
loose and did not feel as driven and and who knows i could easily jump into andromeda when we get to it and i will be eating crow and and just completely changing my mind on it i definitely do think i'll probably have at least cooled somewhat on some of my initial impressions but i just i I don't think it can measure up to even mass effect one in my mind uh it's Mm -hmm. just because it's it's having to surmount so much in terms of nostalgia and the only way you're going to ever do that is like can i hate to bring up like the series to really pull this card on you but like danganronpa v3 did that for me like the way it was just like okay we're just jumping forward we're just doing this new thing we're not you know we're going to kind of tease the old continuity but we're we're doing this whole different thing and that's what we're doing now that's and like okay and, and i know like i don't know i know that's like a the game end, I, but yes i understand that as well i know that there's like a lot to unpack in that comparison that i have i've opened a can of worms by saying so but i like games like i bring up v3 because it is very much that like you know or, or like the last jedi like kill what holds you back you like like don't don't ascribe yourself to just this thing and it felt like andromeda the ways in which i didn't like it felt like the ways in which it it felt obligated to deliver some sort of mass effect experience instead of like taking that bold step that i felt the first mass effect really was like playing playing mass effect for the first time feels like an experience that you have not played before if you've never played one of those games it feels like wholly different and i feel like andromeda needed to be more of that step and less of what just kind of felt like they were making a mass effect game i wanted them to be making the next version of mass effect not and not just make the next mass effect game if that makes sense um and that that's why i didn't like andromeda i'm still looking forward to playing it and talking about it on this podcast i look forward to forcing myself to grapple with it can't say that that means i'm going to enjoy it but it does mean content so (laughs) at the end of the day that's that but i can you can feel free to rebuttal me here (laughs) well i have have, my first question initially is do you have a good enough grasp on where the game was going at that point to tell me how far you got yeah so i i went over it again today but uh, i was i was telling my friend uh, my brother that uh, i was like is I, I always forget the exacts of it, but I was at some part where you were trying to find a doctor in some slum on a world or something like that. That was the last big mission I remember doing. Uh, and it was on this world that was kind of like, there's like a slum sort of... Uh, Kadara. Yeah, yeah. It was like a thrown together city with like a wall barrier that you would go beyond to get to the actual part where you could hop mm. in the... Yeah, the Mako yeah. and, and drive around. That was the last place where I remember doing stuff. I feel like there was also a nice planet, but I can't remember mm. much about it. So uh, if I if I ask you, do you know the truth about Jaws Race? Do you know what I'm asking you? Oh no, no, no okay. clue. <laughs> yeah. So all right, so that kind of I, that puts from me in from the what I understand, what I got about halfway into the game. Is is about like the marker? It doesn't even sound like that much, but I. So my my feelings towards a lot of things you're saying is like I don't know that to me Mass Effect Andromeda was never you know the the Mass Effect four it was like I compared it to people like if Mass Effect three is Infinity War Endgame Andromeda is like Gardens of the Galaxy it's like this sort of it's very much this side story in a grander universe um 
So like, I wasn't personally look like going into it expecting like, the beginning of a brand new trilogy because like I mean, I mean you and I um, were working together when we saw like the reveal trailer for that game and like I was very hesitant about it and everybody else in the room was like oh more Mass Effect and I'm I was like. I don't know if I really need another Mass Effect game because like Mass Effect the trilogy gave me what I needed and I didn't really feel like mm. going back into that world. So, I guess in retrospect, my... you were the wisest person in the room at the time. <laughs> <laughs> See, like you, you don't be a hype monster. Me. Don't be a hype monster. Be cynical. <laughs> and so, like that's to me, I when it comes to like you, you say like it feels like it's just delivering this other. This, this other Mass Effect thing. To me, I... Yes, they're like, they're Asari, Turians, Solarians again, but to me, what always stuck out to me about those characters was that the way that they deviated very much from, like, what we already know about these species, and that would probably inform where they want to go to a different galaxy, because, like, Vetra is not the militaristic Turian. Like, she she did not do her um, required military service. PB is not, you know, this, this wise, cultured you know, Asari, she's this, like, she's Lara Croft, but, and an alien. And then, so, like, to me, I would always, I've always been fascinated by the game. It's not that it is, like, giving me something brand new. It's just more like it's a riff on what we already know. And so from that perspective, like, I, I enjoy those characters. Not, like, I don't, like, obviously PB will never match up to Liara in my brain, but... I appreciate Andromeda's cast as, like, this very subversive thing in a galaxy that is very hegemonic, that has, like... They, they talk about all the time how, like, humans are people that have these, like, most diverse culture, and everyone else is kind of expected to fall into, like, certain lines. So from that perspective, I feel like I got as much new as I really felt like I could have expected from what is basically the equivalent of, like, a game about the first contact war with the Turians... Because, like, we did, yeah, we don't see the rest of the Andromeda galaxy in this game. We only see, like, a very small portion of it and only meet one other race and the other one that's hostile. So, I think a lot of the things that, you like, you've said that you have problems with, I think you might kind of shift your thinking as you get further into the game because it does subvert a lot of things that we've come to know. As for, like, the mission structure of, like, coming going in and on and off of planets and going back to the ship and then going to some other planet, like, yeah, that's tedious. And, like, they're, they made sort of steps to mitigate that. And like you can skip a lot of like the the uh, traveling between system to system, um, so I don't know. Like I, we have a whole season planned for this game. So yeah, yeah, we have a lot of content planned in the future. We don't want to cannibalize that. I will say like the one thing that you said that has made me more interested in playing it now than I ever have been in the past, including when you suggested it as a Patreon goal, <laughs> was was comparing it, making that comparison of Endgame to Guardians of the Galaxy. I think maybe we didn't have that kind of framework. I think maybe even Bioware didn't have that kind of framework in mind to do that sort of thing back then, because, you know, obviously the MCU was... It, it existed, but it certainly was not like to the level of where it's at today where I feel like we we, we as a society <laughs> we but generally as consumers now we're a little more accustomed to that sort of comic book narrative structure of large events punctuated by smaller character stories and having our media become so vast and, and uh, referential uh, to like like metatextual that you can have those outside experiences that are like full fledged experiences. You know, you can have your Daredevil, and then Daredevil doesn't necessarily ever interact with 
the MCU as it exists in the movies, but he does exist within the Marvel Universe, and you can even have those references yeah. within texts to things like that, to things like Hell's Kitchen, to things like like minor characters even, or, or yeah. have their have their own little like mini large and small arcs and things like that within the larger MCU. And so like if if Andromeda had initially been billed as more of that than and this could be some of me projecting in that I feel it was it was set out as this is what the new mass effect is like this is the the next step for mass effect and the next i mean like i i clearly i have not beaten the game but i have heard from you and others that this it does end on a cliffhanger that sounds like it will not be resolved in the let's say at least in the near future um that that idea i'm more interested in a guardians of the galaxy style game where it is like we're, we're just telling this I'm interested in the Mass Effect 2 of whatever this is, where, like, just take out, strip all the Reaper stuff out and just make it a game about this crew that's trying to do this one thing that is going to be super important. Mm. And obviously, like, from what I understand, that is some of what Andromeda is, but it, I, I want that, like, maybe more contained, bespoke experience and, and, mm. like, bill it as that and just be clear about that. But again, like, yep. I, I also just, <laughs> Going maybe it's also just going to the Andromeda Galaxy, like going to a specific like like saying making that deliberate motion of we are going to something new, and then it not feeling like enough of new. Whereas it, if they kept it within the universe and done like CSEC stories and stuff like that, I would be a little bit more interested. Just because at least then I know they're going to take a different vantage point on things that we've already seen, and we'll get to explore some things that the trilogy didn't get to explore but yeah it does like it just to kind of cap this off it does make you wonder mm-hmm. like if mass fiction drama had somehow like not necessarily as a video game but just as something else like had come out around like during the trilogy as sort of like this side thing would it have had the same expectations as it did because if it's like yeah if know, it was just like there's... a side game i don't yeah. think it would have had that same expectation set out for it uh or like the, I, like I mean, the far cry it's primal say, but... of far cry kind of sort yeah of. but the, but then i think part of that also comes with mass effect mass effect andromeda as 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 a product like we talked about the the open world stuff and is very like bloated in some ways there's a lot of content shoved into that game that it could not have been a side yeah, game necessarily that's, that's, that's so so then like it, yeah if that had been a smaller more focused experience i probably would have also liked it because i i remember very specifically you telling me that there was something that i had to see that involved like finding all these memory shards or whatever mm. on the planets and you said it was like worth the payoff but i just straight up didn't do it because i was like wait this means i have to like go crawling all over all these different planets to find these dumb things it had so much of that like you know 2010 era ubisoft content bloat in it where it was there are so many things that you could collect and do and things to check off on the map that i it it just made me feel like this is not why i play mass effect you know i don't mind doing like the planet scanning and stuff like that i think even in mass effect 3 they were getting to a point where i was like "Eh, i'm not enjoying this as much as i did before but uh with mass effect andromeda it was like they just turned that dial up to 11 and i was like cool so i gotta either ignore all this stuff and worry that it's going to like mess up a choice i have later in this game or i'm going to have to like crawl through the hinterlands on every planet (laughs) 
the hinterlands if you want to hear us talk about the hinterlands be sure to support our patreon uh, <laughs> gotta get that plug in there man uh so that'll do it for us today this was uh once again an episode where i came in thinking we won't spend that long talking about stuff and we classically again spent a lot of time talking about this stuff but yeah. i have a feeling that next week will actually be one of those episodes because we're doing as i falsely announced last week <laughs> one of our we'll call them citadel side quests episodes so this is where we put a lot of stuff that does not fit the framework of what we're looking to do. Uh, for example, I will tell you that one of the things that we'll probably be talking about is the uh, side mission involving Zaid and the side mission involving Jacob, as those have mm. both uh, come up as options here for us. I think we're going to take a look at um, kind of just making sure that we're covering all our bases. I know by this point I had missed the opportunity to do Kasumi's uh, side mission but we'll still probably talk about that i'll go watch a youtube video and make sure i'm caught up on what that content actually was uh so we'll make sure that we're trying to cover all those bases uh because this is the first of two episodes that we have set aside for this there's a lot of side content in this game we want to make sure we're hitting all of it and we're also just going to talk about you know anything else that that comes to mind that we haven't mentioned yet there's a lot in this game a lot more than mass effect one or mass effect two so it's it's a big game it is a big big game and we're just going to have some stuff set aside that if it has not fit what we've done so far we want to make sure we get to it so that'll do it for us this week uh we're looking forward to seeing you next time if you're uh if you're a high tier patron be sure to send in those uh patreon questions because we are now fresh out so if you've got any more things you want to ask us if you want to quiz us on all things mass effect if you want to ask us what our favorite crewmates are if you want to I don't know. Find out who you should ask Ken what the best guest character from another franchise would be for Mass Effect. Who Jesus who should Christ. guest in Mass Effect? Because Ken loves it. Detective Pikachu. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Detective Pikachu solving crimes on CSEC. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I'm into that already. That's good. Oof. We'll talk about all that and more next time on Normandy FM.